Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. My name is Janice. I am one of the staff here at the city. Uh, so good to be speaking to you this morning, uh, and uh, I'm very glad to be with y'all on site and those of you who are tuning in. So good morning again. Welcome to our worship service. Uh, and starting today, we're starting this new series, as you've heard, um, uh, study in First Peter, and uh, it's been a whirlwind week, hasn't it? It's been uh, we've had some surprises. Uh, to say the least, um, but it's good to be back, yes, it's good to be here just to worship together, uh, and uh, I'm sure for the kids uh, downstairs, they are very happy too, so yeah, we're, we're thankful, and if you've got your Bible with you, um, whatever that's not on the slide, I'll let you know, but we are going to jump right in. I'll have you read the passage together with me in a bit, uh, but then uh, let me just uh, say a little bit about First Peter, and then you'll read the passage with me, yeah. Uh, and then we'll kick it off. And so um, the letter, First Peter, which we also refer to in also all the letters in New Testament, we call them epistles. Okay, what epistles? Epistles, epistles. Okay, letters. Uh, and so this one by Peter uh, is addressed to a bunch of so various groups of believers in different places. So uh, 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 compare that with like the book of Colossians, where it's written to uh, the church in Colossae, or the Philippians, the book of Philippians written to the church in Philippi, right? So First Peter is written to various congregations, and it's not to address specific problems, but uh, as some of the letters are. Okay, so First Peter, just bit, very little uh, background. You can find out more, I'm sure, uh, in your own research. So with that, I'd like you to read this passage with me. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read the first verse, and then you read verse 2, and then 3, 4, 5, 6. All good? Okay, those of you who are tuning in online, you can do that as well, right there in your living room. So aloud, I'll read one and you read two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Great. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Oh, last verse. Yeah, latency here at this time. But <laughs> let's pray. God, thank you that we can come and learn from you, Holy Spirit, together as, uh, as one, as a church, as a community. We just look to you. Uh, um, we turn our hearts and our, just our whole being towards you and say, Lord, we want to be attentive to you. And so right where we are here at home, uh, wherever we're listening, we pray that you would speak to each of us directly to our hearts. And may you find good soil, and may there be a response of faith and obedience from us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, from the text that you read, it's kind of long, I know. I probably will just land uh, at verse 9, actually, not 12. But so from the long text that we just read together, uh, you probably have caught some words, some are familiar, some phrases are not. Uh, but First Peter was written at a time where uh, the believers who were recipients of this letter were living in very uncertain times, uh, in times of political, religious persecution. And they were dispersed over many areas because of that. And just about, so everything in their life was uncertain. And uh, even though we may not be experiencing persecution in a similar way, the unfamiliarity, the, the sense of just feeling lost and, and uncertain uh, is something we can relate to. All right, especially during this period of time. And so the question, how do our followers of Jesus endure, even thrive in times like this, and in unusual times as the people of God? So that's the question these, uh, the, you know, Peter is trying to respond to or speak into, and that's what First Peter is about. So even as we've read there, the question is, so who was Peter? Right. Let me just give you a little introduction. Uh, I'm sure you probably kind of know, but just to jog our memory a bit. So Peter called by the Sea of Galilee. Right. Jesus told him to drop his nets, follow him. Uh, Peter uh, did. And so he, together with a couple of other disciples, they're the ones that witnessed the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. Okay. Peter was also at the Transfiguration. Right. He you know, ate with Jesus. Uh, slept with the other disciples all together with Jesus when they traveled for ministry trips. He was the one who chopped off Malchus's ear when Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. I always find that fascinating that he would, well, I'll <laughs> chop off your ear. You. Um, so he's that, okay? And he's the one who says, I will never deny you, Jesus. Uh, but he did three times before the cock crowed. All right, so you get this picture of um, a fisherman who is most likely pretty like suntanned, burly, maybe you know muscular, big, rough around the edges, impulsive, daring, a very daring person. He's the one, the only one who walked on water, and sank also a bit. But you know he walked, and nobody else did. He stepped out of that boat. And so here in verse one, you see he introduces himself as apostle. Hello. Okay. Yes. Apostle Jesus. Whereas Paul would introduce himself in some of the letters that he writes, Apostle of Christ through the will of God. Uh, for example, Colossians 1. So you kind of contrast 
and draw some contrast between Paul and Peter. So Peter, you know, Paul will be the guy if you visit his home, you'll, you'll find uh, he would be so happy to show you like, you know, his latest collection of books or maybe just, you know, his, his walls and walls of shelves. Uh, this is my encyclopedia. This is my, you know, my Latin collection of books. This is my whatever Greek uh, uh, dictionaries. And, and so he'll be, the kind that the walls are lined, like a very educated, very learned man, uh, uh, grew up just, you know, like top creme, creme de la creme, okay, kind of upbringing and education. If you go to Peter's house, probably you'll see his walls lined with, like, you know, his prized catches, okay, the, the best uh, fish catch that he's ever gotten, all uh, hanging on there on his wall and be like, did you see? It was this big, you know? Like that, that's kind of uh, uh, the man he is. He'd probably be the kind that uh, would, would make, uh, uh, would just love beer with some stingray and sambal, okay? Whereas maybe Paul would, you know, just great wine, you know? Uh, just very different kind of feel. And, and you, if, if Paul, if someone pissed Paul off, right, maybe, you know, before Christ, he would hire someone to beat the guy up, okay? Peter, no, no, he'll do it himself, okay? Do, do you get the contrast, right? So here you get this person who wrote this book. But it doesn't make a difference to the fact that he is an apostle, nonetheless, right? He's an apostle of Christ, the second most prominent man in the Gospels. On Pentecost Day, the man of the hour, right? Peter rose up and spoke on the Pentecost. Now, at the time of writing this book, he would have been quite old. Um, but you would find in the book many profound truths that I think over the years would have deepened because of just the experiences it's had. So here is Peter, an apostle of Christ, and he writes to elect exiles. Who are the elect exiles of the dispersion? Okay, in some of your Bibles, it will be diaspora, right? And diaspora from the word diaspiro, diaspiro, okay? Not that I know Greek, but uh, I, like, I like studying the Greek dictionary. I can't read it, but yeah, combination of dia, through, uh, or throughout and spiral, which is where we get the word like seeds or sperm, okay? So scattered throughout, uh, seeded throughout, okay? You get the sense. Scattered throughout the area, planted by God, being a reference when the Jews were dispersed from Babylonian Empire. So he's saying there, you believers, you who are dispersed, scattered all across the place, not in your homeland, this is you. So he's writing to them. In Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all these, uh, some mostly strange names, but it will be modern-day Turkey. Exiles who are somewhat distinct. What do I mean by that? Yeah. Exiles would be different from tourists. I'll draw a little bit of distinction. Or even different from some sense how uh, an immigrant might be. I remember many years ago, uh, a bunch of youths and I, we went to stay in a longhouse. And uh, this was in Borneo. Uh, and I love staying in longhouses. Not that I have stayed very often. But whenever I do, I turn into this excited little kid. Uh, and so me, more excited than some of the youths, actually. So we'll bring our stuff. It was a mission trip. And we got to stay in a longhouse. And everyone was like, ooh. I get my own room because you know it's long house you've got tons of rooms and uh, so a couple of guys uh, you know you would pair up and, and be in your room uh, and it was very comfortable I loved it 
uh, it was like, oh, this is bliss, okay, better than the best Airbnb. And so in this place, you've got no fan, no, air, no AC, uh, the toilet is a, is a walk away, okay, whether you pee or poo is the same thing, you got to walk some distance where there's no light, uh, no door. Uh, and so in this longhouse stay, it's like really nice, but you know, we were tourists in some sense, right? Because we know we're staying there for a short while. It's not like we're bringing all our belongings, making our home there, we were visiting. So it was all blissful, right? And so it's a little different from being in exile. And, and, and it's different from being an immigrant too, when you relocate somewhere. Uh, and so, for example, when my family relocated here, uh, you get a sense of, okay, we want to, and most immigrants who want to, what we want to do is naturalize. We want to be, you know, really assimilated, part of the culture, uh, so on and so forth. This is just painting a picture how the word exile is a little different, okay? What it means is being a sojourner, a stranger in that land, and you are not natives of the place, and you have a place that you call home, but this is not it, right? Being exiles have that kind of sense. So like, you know, food, language, culture, your habits, different things that do kind of set you apart, okay? Uh, and most likely will be minority as exiles in a place. So this is who Peter is writing to. And it applies to us too as believers, because it's not just that those church, okay? it's us too. How are we exiles right where we are, wherever God has planted us, right? Wherever God has scattered us, how are we by God's hand scattered as temporary residents with a heavenly hope, right? So this is who Peter was writing to. And he goes on to talk about elect. He doesn't just call them exiles. He calls them elect exiles. You see that word there? Yeah. Loaded. Not really. No. Small word. Uh, it, it literally just means called out, okay? being a, the chosen ones. Uh, uh, from kind of uh, two words, called out of. Okay? Lego is called out. Ek is from. Okay, so you're called out from eklegomai, okay, the last word. But what that means is you are a people who are exiles because you're called out, right, to be distinct, to be set apart. And what does that mean for us? But if you delve deeper, that word there is related to the concept of like election and being predestined, right, God's foreknowledge. And I don't know how many of us perhaps will have questions about that or, you know, you're wondering, you've always wondered. I really like this analogy of what it means to understand how God sovereignly or he foreknows all those who are called. How does that work with the free will of men? How does the sovereignty of God reconcile with the free will of men? Now, God works with way more dimensions than we do. We know that. The best, well, I was thinking of this, the analogy I can think of is, imagine you're watching a drama that is like 50 episodes, okay? I don't watch dramas that are 50 episodes, but imagine that you do, okay? 50 episodes, okay, next one. Okay, that's me. Too long. But imagine you're watching a 50-episode drama. And you're watching from episode one all through, and you're kind of waiting. You don't know what's going to happen. Or maybe someone spoiled it for you. I don't know. But still, you don't really know, okay? So you're going to watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. How it is for God, 
is totally different. Even, you, 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 you may have watched it before, you still don't really know, right? But God, the way He knows it, is He sees all episodes from 1 to 50, all at the same time, one shot. He's looking at it all at the same time. Do you, does that blow your mind? I just imagine. I cannot, like, it's like 50 screens. I cannot, I cannot. But God sees all of it all at the same time. That's how God goes beyond our understanding of time. He foreknows. He sees all. He knows it all. That's one way I thought of, like, you know, uh, uh, thinking about it. How does God, how are we the chosen ones? How are we the elect? And there's another analogy of, you know, a bunch of people walking down a road. And I'll read uh, this paragraph, and hopefully that it speaks to uh, those of us who wrestle with this issue of election, right? Sometimes it's a question that we have. So there is a vast host of people hurrying down the road, and one stands calling attention to a door, the entrance into the way that leads to life eternal. And on the door is plainly written, whoever will, let him come, right? That's free will, right? Every man is invited. No one need to hesitate. Some may say, oh, I'm not a chosen one, so it would be useless for me to come, for the door will not open to me. But God's invitation is for all. It's addressed to everyone. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The messenger addressed himself to all. The call came to all. The door could be entered by all. But many refused to come and perished in their sins. So God says, you will not come unto me that you might have life. But some will say, I am going inside. I am accepting the invitation. I will enter the door. And he presses his way and shuts the door behind him. And he turns around and he sees written on the up inside of that door, on the other side, chosen before the foundation of the world. I love that analogy. So is it whoever wills or is it God chose? It is that door, that same choice, that two-way. How do we reconcile the free will of men and the sovereignty of God? I cannot fully understand. I cannot explain it. And I'm not taking more time this morning to do it. But God can reconcile it. God can understand. However it is, I believe that he chose me. And I'm taking time to elaborate on this because I want you to understand before we go the future, the, the next few weeks on, on, on 1 Peter, is this is where Peter's own life experience was. Picture with me, you know, he said, everyone will forsake you. I will not. But he did. Right? And then when Jesus was resurrected, the angel told Mary, he says, tell this, the disciples that he is risen. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Tell his disciples and Peter, Mark 16, verse 7. Specifically, Jesus wanted to make sure Jesus, uh, Peter was told, and he witnessed for himself the empty tomb. Peter went there. The linen folded up. Jesus' body was not there. He must have felt so much despair and shame for himself and the dashed hopes he had in Jesus up until that point. But Jesus sought him out and wanted to restore him. John 21, right? He, 
he must have felt that, but that is what Jesus wanted to do. This is exactly why I needed to go to the cross. I chose you, Peter. You failed, but no, you did not fail my choosing. God knows, God foreknew, and still Jesus restored and said, that's exactly why I need to go to the cross. No matter how sincerely we want to follow our free will, whatever it is, God is sovereign and He is working on our faith because he is the author and finisher of our faith. And Peter, when he was writing this, he's gone through so much by then, right? Pentecost, Stephen died, Paul converted, all sorts of significant things. Election, I don't think, is not even a theology he struggles with or, or really questions. He knows if God did not choose me, if Jesus did not choose me and call me to follow him, where would I be? It's not a question. But I am also choosing I am choosing to give my life to Him. Jesus called me. Jesus touched my life. He restored my brokenness. Without God, I would be there. And that's the same story for me. And that's where Jesus, Peter is coming from when he writes this. You are the elect exiles. Understand that you are God's called out ones. God has called you not to be same as everyone who does not know me. I have called you out so that you live such a way that others know they are called too. In such a way that they will also put down whatever it is their life depends on and follow me. And that is exactly what Peter wants us to know. That's what I have experienced. Did I choose God? Did God choose me? If God did not encounter me, I would not be where I am. So, in such a way, we recognize that even in the mystery we cannot reconcile, we have this security in God's will and we have this opportunity to share this with others. It does not abdicate us from the responsibility of speaking of Him to others. So we move on to verse 3. It says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I reference again, based on this verse, how Peter must have probably the lowest of his lowest, his disappointment when Jesus was arrested. I want you to feel the, the, you know, who he is in his writing. He is saying that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was arrested, what hope did Peter have anymore? Hey, I dropped everything to follow you. And this is what it comes to. Not only was Jesus arrested, he was crucified. And like even maybe up until that point, Peter is like, okay, maybe Jesus is going to do, you know, like a 360 and like come down like, ta-da, just kidding, you know. But he didn't. He died. He was buried. And what hope did Peter have left? Whatever hope that he had in Jesus or the kingdom that Jesus would restore or the hope that, you know, all things will come to God's glory, dashed. No more. And, but he, his hope was resurrected from a dead hope to a living hope when Jesus resurrected. And that's the clincher for his faith. Everything changed. At the lowest of Peter's time, God was the most in control of that hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus, 
Everything changed. Every disappointment that Peter felt, every dashed hope that he placed in people or circumstances, or even the, the blessing that comes with knowing and following Jesus, all of that, it got replaced. And many times we do. We place our hope in circumstances, in things of the world, people, and rightly so, our relationships. We know we need to have relationships, all these things. We place our hope in these things. We place our hope in the blessings of God. God, I honor you. And you said those who, you know, humble themselves before you exalt. Yes, but still our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. And so Ephesians 2.4 reminds us of this mercy, right? His great mercy. But God, everything changed around because of that but. But God, Ephesians 2.4, it tells us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. It's not that we are good and God owes us. It's that we are all in need of God. And because of his mercy, we are turned around. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for me. And so when there are like words that are, you know, describing something sort of like with different shades of meaning, the nerd in me kicks in. And so I looked up uh, and found something so, somewhat po po uh, poetic, right? So imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Don't need to rem memorize this, but just listen to the rhythmic uh, poetry that might have it sounded in Greek, okay? Imperishable, aftartos, undefiled, amiantos, unfading. Amarantos. So if I were speaking Greek, yara, 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 it would be like, aftartos, amiantos, amarantos. Wow, I don't know what that meant, but that sounded good. <laughs> I sounded Italian, actually. I shouldn't. Aftartos, amiantos. Uh, not intended. <laughs> Vincenzo. Okay. <laughs> but with... <laughs> God. Sorry, can we edit that out? No. Okay. <laughs> To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He takes all this trouble to describe this inheritance. Ephesians 1.11 tells us this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, there's that word again, predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It is this inheritance, okay, to which we are born again. This is our living hope, okay? To this inheritance that it cannot be destroyed. It cannot be defiled. It is pure. It, is, it does not change or decay, unfading. It doesn't get boring, okay? This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled and unfade. Something may become unpure, but it doesn't fade. Or something can fade, but it's still pure. But this is saying, it's none of these. It will never perish. It cannot be defiled. And it cannot fade. And it cannot be taken away from you. It's kept in heaven. Kept in heaven, who's going to take it away from you? Nobody, right? Heavenly hope, our hope is in heaven, reserved for you. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation. It's being guarded. It's a military term there, the guard there. It is a guarding and a watching to preserve one for attaining something. It's guarding, watching closely, observing, right? This is our fixed reference point in life. 
It gives clarity in all the decisions that you need to make, whether it is career, relationships, life decisions, whatever it is, right? It gives clarity. It is a fixed reference point. This is the eternal blessedness that we have in the ultimate fruition of seeing the kingdom of God after Jesus returns again, right? This is our fixed reference point. It is our compass by which we live. And so Peter is saying, whatever circumstances or people may fail you, set your sight on this living hope because by God's power, this is being guarded. How? God's power, verse 5, that's God's part, is guarded through our faith, our part. So there's God's power and it's our faith. All our work is, John 6, 29, is to believe. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Guarded through our faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Are we okay? You guys? Okay. Six, the word rejoice there, you will see it pop up in verse 8 again. Rejoice, and then verse 8, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Now this verb here for rejoice and the verb in verse 6 for grief, both are intense verbs. They're not like rejoice, like, you know, slight pleasure or the grief that is like a bit sad. It's not. Intense verb. It is exceeding joy and crushing grief, okay? Exceeding joy. Three times here, rejoice is used in First Peter. Uh, and the both being intense verbs is not just that. It almost gives this picture that following Jesus can simultaneously be joy and pain. How many of us find that to be true? It's inexplainable. Well, it's not like you are like one moment, <laughs> You know, it's not, it's not like that. It's just that there is this joy that is not bound to circumstances that even in my deepest sorrow, there is a joy and a hope that I cannot explain. And that is our living hope, right? And so this, it, in this verse, it shows you, even if you rejoice, in this you rejoice that even now you grieve for a little while through various trials, there is joy and pain on earth as long as we follow Jesus. And then perhaps you don't really feel that now, but there may come times when you will feel that. How is it simultaneous? When Jesus was going to the cross, I don't think he was like happy, but he was steadfast for the joy set before him. He was crushed, but he went that way, right? And the interesting thing is here is, uh, I want to quote someone, uh, Tim Keller, up here, who writes this, there is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. J.R.R. Tolkien says this, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything said will come untrue. It kind of showed up in the Lord of the Rings. I think Sam said it. But... Uh, the, yeah, of course, Tolkien said it. Lah. Yeah, so he's, he's saying that the resurrection of Jesus, all this, it means that one day everything said will come untrue. That is our hope. 
And it's okay. Even now you grieve for a little while through various trials because in there you can still rejoice because there is a hope. You know, the greatest, the best stories that we hear, the best movies or whatever, is just like, you know, this, this whole, like maybe one hour and a half is just intense drama, right? Like, unless you're watching a rom-com, it's different. Okay, drama, like it's just like, conflict or you know disaster or whatever relational like quarrels or whatever and then you see them having so much difficulty to resolve stuff and then towards the end but if you could see your whole life and you can see how from friday to saturday that resurrection that place of in between that waiting for the already and not yet for that sunday morning when peter finally saw that jesus was really resurrected like he said he would that in between of that waiting, that waiting, how are we waiting? How are we looking forward? If we know that living hope, how it would look like at the end, what does that give you when you go through hard times now? It gives hope. You know it's going to be okay. You don't know how it will work out. You don't know how it might look like, but you know it's going to be okay. And we take ourselves too seriously sometimes. We worry too much. Hey, I'm a worry word. And I'm saying to myself, Janice, you worry too much. And coming here, and sometimes I see some of you, you worry too much. We want so much certainty. We want so much things locked into place, defined in clear terms and conditions. I'm not saying no need, but there's so much of it. And sometimes that prevents us from rejoicing. Because we have a living hope, we know how things will end in the end. Why so downcast, oh my soul? We know our hope is eternal, it is imperishable, it is reserved in heaven for us. And so verse 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory, at the revelation of Jesus. When we are tested, it reveals where our hope lies. And it loosens our grip on the things of this world. Purifies our faith. And someone once uh, shared this, that stuck with me. When you refine gold, as this verse talks about, verse 7, even gold can perish in the fire, right? When you refine gold out of all the metals, right? Gold is, you know, this best metal. What Junjie would know, right? Yeah. But so when you do stuff to remove the dross, uh, I don't know about now, but what people do is that they remove the dross until it's so clear that you can see the reflection of the person looking into that gold. And picture this. When we are being tested, God is purifying our hearts. God is purifying your heart, my heart. And he is removing all the impurities. And he is making sure that we have this growth and maturing process to the point where he can look and see Jesus reflected in our lives. And I love that example. And as we are purified, our faith being purified, and we grow to reflect Jesus. That is what the exiles are called to be like. And we will stick out like sore thumb. At home, we've been playing some games with the kids. 
So I don't know how many of you play Saboteur. No? Okay, maybe. So recently we've been playing that and the kids cannot get enough. Okay, can you all come and play? Yeah, then I can rest. Goodbye. <laughs> It's like, mommy, can we play another time? No, go to sleep. Okay, <laughs> but it's it's really fun. But I discovered that it's not easy. Okay, so you kind of have to play. There's the villain role, and then there's the good person role. Okay, good guy, bad guy role. So I'm not kidding. Out of all the games that we've played so far, I keep getting the bad guy role. And you know how nice I can be, right? <laughs> Why you laugh? You know? <laughs> but apparently, I'm probably the best liar in the family. <clears throat> you know? So, oh, don't wow. <laughs> but playing that game it, with the innocence of children, you just feel so bad. And, you know, your husband looking at you like, can I trust this woman? You know, uh, it gets really dicey and intense, okay? Until I think we need, like, I don't know, a debrief after. But... <laughs> It's funny because I was thinking of that and like how are exiles supposed to live? When we go through trials and we have comfort in trials, when we have a different kind of clarity than people who don't follow God, who don't necessarily know what it means to follow God, right? When it's like that game, the moment I do a move, you know I'm the bad guy. It's so obvious. I stand out like a sore thumb. And in that sense, when we are living as exiles, the way that we look at problems, the way that we go about our decisions, our values, our priorities, the way that we interact, the way that we are intentional about certain things and not about the other things that are not so important, it makes us stick out. And so if you feel like, oh, you know, I'm not really being tested, maybe you're not sticking out. Maybe that's something to think about. Oh, maybe I should stick out more. You're not playing your role, right? If you got this identity as exiles, elect exiles in God, how are we living in such a way that would result in praise and glory, verse 7, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ? that we would display the enduring quality of our faith. That is us, the people of God. And so though we may not see him, we love him. We have, you know that song, A Thrill of Hope, uh, The Weary World Rejoices, right? Do you guys know? Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to try to sing it, but yeah. Spurgeon says this, and then we'll end. Um, I found it very poetic also, so I'm going to share it with you. It is also called a living hope because it is imperishable. Other hopes fade like withering flowers. The hopes of the rich, the boasts of the proud, all these will die out as a candle when it flickers in the socket. There is no unwaning hope beneath the changeful moon. The only imperishable hope is that which climbs above the stars and fixes itself upon the throne of God and the person of Jesus Christ. The only imperishable hope is that which climbs above the stars and fixes itself upon the throne of God and the person of Jesus Christ. You know, many seasons in our lives, we would struggle with all sorts of 
things, as the verse says, various trials. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes about manifold grace of God. In here, verse 6, he talks about manifold trials. And it almost has this picture of how God's manifold grace enables us to go through the manifold trials. God's grace is so multifaceted and all-sufficient that he can see you through your manifold trials because of his manifold grace. Whether you may go through seasons where we struggle with injustice, we struggle with deaths, conflicts, sickness and pain. We struggle with disasters, crises, whatever, all these, or just this ongoing, perhaps like uh, struggle with negative thoughts. Whatever it is, right? God's with you. And there is a thrill of hope, even as the weary world rejoices, right? And so as a community, we hold each other up. There is comfort in trials. We recognize that we are called as the people of God and is not easy. And we walk together with this clarity still that our living hope is kept for us even if we may suffer for this while, we can yet rejoice. And that joy can seem crazy, that hope can seem crazy, because not everybody can understand. And that's okay. So just to help you remember, uh, we talk about how our living hope in Jesus gives us clarity in life, right? It teaches us there needs to be contrast because of our identity and therefore our conduct. And you will find that more as we cover First Peter in our relationships. Our living hope also gives us comfort for trials. It doesn't spare us from them, okay? But it comforts us through them. Our living hope, we are called as a people, as a distinct people. And this is how our living hope teaches us to live in this world as exiles, as people in uncertain times. And I was asking God this morning, what do you want to do, God? What do you want your people to hear this morning? And uh, I said, that's it, most of it. And so whichever that stuck out to you, pray into that. But this morning, I think there are one or two calls uh, uh, that I'm going to uh, invite you to to respond right where you are. And so later you can either respond in the prophetic, uh, for the prophetic prayer ministry or uh, on in the Zoom. Okay. So the first call is this. We'll have the music team get ready. Thank you. Oh, okay. uh, the first call is this. Some of you, you know that part where I was talking about we're too careful, we take ourselves too seriously? Uh, that was what God impressed on my heart during worship. Um, and I think what, what God is inviting you to, if that's you, is sometimes we live, we're so 
conscious and we're so afraid of making mistakes. But our living hope teaches us that it's going to be okay. And so sometimes that worry shrouds us from being able to just be daring and bold just to step out in faith. All you need to do is trust and believe in God. And sincerely, as you follow Him, things don't work out the way you hope. It's okay. And so this morning, God wants, if that's you, there's certain things or there's something that you've been kind of sitting on. Uh, you're not sure. You're, you're scared of how it might look or how it's going to pan out. Like, you know, oh, but, you know, if it's financial security, it's not really there. But there's this nagging feeling. God's saying to you that it's going to be okay. You have a living hope in me. How much, how bad can it go if you would just obey and just trust me to work it out? Yes, it's risky, but it's okay. And so if that's you, in wherever you are, at home or here, would you just respond to God later as, I, as we sing a time, have a time of worship? So that's first. And the second call is this. Some of us, as you're listening to this, you're like, I don't know if I have that living hope. As you're talking about living hope, Janice, I don't know what it looks like in my life. I don't know whether I, I know it, I feel it, I have it. And so if that's you, can I just invite, you know, those of you who are present, just close your eyes and bow your heads so that um, you can focus and that there's no need to be looking around. If that's any of you, you know, you question whether you have this living hope, I want to invite you just to raise your hand where you are. Uh, I'm going to find a way to see if we can just speak to you later after this when we close the service. And we've also got uh, people who are looking out. If you raise your hand, uh, and we'll have a talk with you and to offer to pray with you after this. Okay? If that's you, just raise your hand wherever you are. You're not sure. I'm not sure about this living hope, Janice, that you're talking about. I don't know whether I have it. Anymore? Yeah, I see that. Anyone else? And if you're home, uh, find a way to send us a message. We'd love to reach out to you, okay? And so, yeah, let's just bow our heads and pray, and then I'll hand the time back to Gideon and the team. Thanks, Gideon. Father, we just, um, we just take whatever Holy Spirit you have spoken to each of our hearts. There have been many things that's been said, uh, and but to each heart, uh, only your voice and your word at this hour uh, matters. And so we pray uh, that with the hands that were raised and the rest of us sitting here, that all our hearts right this moment, we want to say, we want to respond and approach you and your throne of grace. We want to say, we want to grow in trust in you and we want to say we want to grow in our identity as a people who are distinct, who hear your voice, and who live your way. 
many things we don't know, many things we don't understand, but you've chosen us. And so this morning we respond by faith. And we say yes to you, to what you're speaking to us this morning, to circumstances in our lives, to questions that we have, and the struggles that we're going through. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and do your work and minister to us in a way that no human can. Would you minister to us now, Holy Spirit? And we say, may your manifold grace go out right where to where everyone is seated and listening to this. That God said, that I am able to meet you with my manifold grace in your various trials and testings of your faith where you have all but almost given up or when you have almost just thrown down everything and just said, God, I can't do this anymore. God, hopelessness seeps in, but it says, in this we rejoice. Even though for a little while we grieve, we rejoice and we hope in you. And so we receive your manifold grace even now. We receive it with our hearts full of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.